Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Jesus is good. Amen. So, um, my name is Victor. No, that's a, that's a little inside joke with, with my campus um, there. But my name is Van. Okay, my name is Van. And I am not uh, the pastor here. I'm just... Uh, one of the many, many leaders here, and I help uh, lead campus. Uh, our pastors, Mark and Terry, they're off. I think they're still in Singapore, and they're doing lots of great training with people, uh, training them to uh, counsel people uh, in the Lord. So uh, awesome, awesome job they're doing there. But what we're going to be talking about today is um, we're still in our church community, and if you could just go to the next slide there. So just a quick recap over these uh, past five five weeks, because this is the sixth. Um, first week was pattern, what is the church? Second week, purpose, why do we exist? Pastors, overseers, the third who leads. Uh, week number four, provision, how do we support the church? And number five is participation. How do we get involved in? Um, this is part two of chapter five. Armin spoke on uh, the first two points last weekend, and those were devotion and discipleship. And today what I'm going to be touching on is lifestyle of generosity and unity. And what participation is all about is, is application. How can we take what we've learned in these past five weeks and actually apply it to our lives? How we can, you know, actually see it at work in our lives. So lifestyle of generosity. Um, Armin did a a very good job um, setting the foundation of why we give. You know, why we give is because first and foremost, it all belongs to God. You know, I know we deal with a lot of ones and zeros today in credit cards and, and, and money. But, you know, back in the day, in Old Testament times, what did they use? They used silver. They used gold. You know, precious metals, actually physical things. So, and if you think about it that way, yes, everything really belonged to God. Because if he created the earth, he created the silver, the gold, the oil in it. And that's in, in the, the grain that comes out the ground. So think of it that way. Think of yourself as a modern farmer, you know, that produces and harvests money. All belongs to him in the first place. Also, giving to God shows our love for God and our faith in him. Our giving actually tells us what we truly believe. Do I I truly trust God with my income? Do I truly trust him with giving the 10%, the tithe? You know, if we don't truly trust him, then we might waver in that. If we truly, uh, if we do not truly believe that he'll take care of us, you know, you might be strapped from week to week. And, you, and you're saying, man, this money could really go toward something that bill. Or I, I just don't know how we're going to meet our budget if we give 
But God says, test me in this. He says, test me. And God doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. We want to encourage you to live a lifestyle of generosity by cheerfully giving tithes, tithes, and offerings to God through the church. There's two important uh, points here. Next slide. We don't want you to only give cheerfully, but also faithfully. You can see what I did there. You can also just flip that around and say fully in faith. You know, uh, faithfully, when we think of that, we think of uh, something that's just consistent. You know, this person does this day in and day out. Uh, we We think of consistency. But what I want you to think about is giving. When you give, give in faith. Be expectant about what God's doing in your life uh, through your giving. Because he's watching you. He's, he's seeing what you're doing with your money and with your time and with your gifts. Uh, point number two. Through the church first. And this is important because we have a lot of great radio ministries. We have a lot of great nonprofit that does work overseas. You know, they... They a good Samaritan's purse. They fly out. I actually went down to uh, New Orleans for Hurricane Katrina. Who who remembers that hurricane and what it did in in that part of the world? Yeah, it was really bad. Um, I actually went down there uh, with them through my uh, campus ministry and helped clear out some houses and stuff. They do some awesome work, but we need to take care of local. Church first, okay? What if, what if in Acts, you know, remember the first 3,000 that were saved? What if they got into their community? They were actually the first church community. What if they came together and said, oh, this is awesome. I'm on fire. I heard Peter's preaching. I, I see who the Messiah was and who he is and what he's going to do in my life. Let's collect all our money and send someone to Asia with it. What would that do? That would leave the local church in Jerusalem with no money. They wouldn't be able to grow and set up what God wanted them to set up there. And scripture explains this. Let's go to the next slide. Acts 2.45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds, the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were making sure that they were taken care of first, that everyone didn't lack anything. You know, again, they were the first Christians, the first church community. And there's a lesson in this for us at Life in the Sun. We cannot sustain the movement, the movement in reaching out to Micronesia if we don't take care of home first. You know, we have leaders to support here, like our pastors, like this building. The church is not the building, but we meet here. Great things happens, happen here. You know, we have worship and, and prayer meetings and mugs and muffins and rise. You know, when rise came up, I, um, I was just thinking about Maya Angelou. And I rise. You know, I don't know if you heard that poem, but she's a, and she's a great um, writer, and she performed that very well. 
but we need to take care of home. You know, if we, if we send people out to Micronesia or even beyond Micronesia, what if we don't take care of life in the sun and people come back and they're like, what is going on here? You know, is someone preaching? Do we even have a building anymore? You know, so we need to take care of, of home first. And let's be responsible about that. Um, Ananias and Sapphira. And Acts uh, in the first church community, they were, they were doing this, but they deceived people. They sold everything they had, but they said, you know what, let's, let's keep a little bit for ourselves. You know, a little savings. And they told everyone, yeah, we gave everything. We gave everything, but you can't fool the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, they died. You know, right in front of Peter. Cheerful giving. God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has not decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And the Bible gives us great accounts of this type of giving, abundant giving. Uh, before this next scripture, um, here's a little context um, about Solomon and what we're about to read. It took him seven years to build God's temple. Seven years. Think about your home taking seven years to be, to be built. You know, things were overlaid in gold. This place was, was crazy. You know, everything was, was fine, the finest of the finest. And he was dedicating the temple to God. So let's see what it says in the scripture. Next slide. In 1 Kings 8, verses 62, it starts with, Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices to the Lord. Solomon offered to the Lord a peace offering of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And so the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the temple to the Lord. Next one. And that same day, the king consecrated the central area of the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple. He offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of peace offerings there. Because the bronze altar in the Lord's presence was too small to hold all the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat, oh, and the fat of the peace offerings. Fast. <laughs> That's crazy. That's 142,000 animals. That's more than everyone here on Guam. Imagine the whole island with a bunch of cows and sheep and goats. And then people just fly over, take some and sacrifice and keep doing it until the whole island is empty. So I did a little research to see how much this would cost. Okay. So I was poking around on the Internet and um, there's an estimate of 2,500 per cow. Okay. 2,500. I don't have that money for beef. A sheep or a goat. We have a couple goats at the house. If you want to come by and pet them, you can. It's not mine. It's my in-laws. 
There's a male that butts his head at people. Okay. Sheep and goat around $200 each. That's an estimate. Okay. Pulled out the little calculator and is, is anyone good in math in here? You want to take a shot at this? No? $79 million. $79 million is the estimated value of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. That's not even counting the grain offerings and the other offerings that were made in this verse of 64. So it exceeds $79 million. That's pretty... Like, that's a lot. That's like, I mean, I don't know how, what percentage of that was, was from Israel, but that was a lot. And you know what that tells me? They were big balling, shot calling. Okay? And um, they had to be very, very, very blessed in order to give a value of $79 million to the Lord after the temple was dedicated. And they still were, were prosperous. They still had a lot after the offering. And you can imagine how long it took to do that. They couldn't just do 120,000 animals in one day. We're talking about constant worship day in and day out until every animal was sacrificed, until every offering was burnt unto the Lord. And the reason why they were so blessed is because of David. David was a mighty warrior. He was a, a great king of Israel. And I don't have the scriptures up, but I'm just going to read them from my notes here. We're going to start in 1 Kings 3. See, David was a man after God's own heart. You're going to see a pattern here how David just keeps popping up. So Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David. Later in the chapter, we see God communicates in a dream to Solomon. And he asks Solomon what he wants. What do you want, Solomon? And Solomon says this, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And then asks for wisdom. God says, because you have asked for wisdom, I will give you what you asked for. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. See, God was able to give Solomon those things because he came to him in humility. He wasn't like, God, I want a new car. I want my palace over here. I want gold and I want bacon. Because I'm a man. No, he didn't, he didn't ask for those superficial things. He was like, you know, my father, David, he led greatly, and, and I'm just taking up the kingdom. Give me wisdom to rightly be a king in Israel so that I can lead your people well. And since he had that in his heart, God was like, okay, I can give this person riches and fame because I know he's not going to go crazy with it. It just reminds me of people that get drafted to the NFL, to the NBA. Rookies, man, with, with money. 
Young kids, 19 years old, 20 years old, what's the first thing you see? They're rolling up in a game in a, uh, in a Lamborghini. Aston Martin. I don't know. They buy it's Mother's Day. They buy their mothers a house. Now, that's a good thing. Okay? They buy their mothers a house. But without proper stewardship, they begin spending their money on things that don't really matter. Because you don't know when you're going to get injured. You don't know if a team will cut you. You don't know if you're going to make it. And a lot of times you'll see athletes on 30 for 30 on ESPN working construction because they did not take care of their money. But Solomon could. Quick pause. Don't give because of his promises or his attributes. Don't give to God because you're like, well, if I give to God, he's going to give me something good back. You know, Scripture says we should give without any expectancy of return. When you give, expect it not to return back. That's true giving. If we give because we want something back, that's not true giving because you're thinking about yourself. If I give to God, he's going to bless me. I'm going to give now. No, we give to God because we love him. We give to God because he died on, on the cross for me, for us. That's why I give to God. I don't, I don't have to have a house, you know. I don't have to have a car. If he didn't do anything, you, you've heard this a lot. If he didn't do anything else for us, it would have been enough. Because we, we get to go spend eternity with a good, good father. Later in 1 Kings 15, it goes on to say, this is down the line after Solomon has passed, and some kings have, have risen up in Israel, and they're pretty bad, pretty bad kings. They, they're starting to follow these, these pagan, pagan religions, and these things are bleeding into Israel. Abijam began to rule over Judah in the 18th year of uh, Jeroboam's reign in Israel. He committed the same sins as his father before him and was not faithful to the Lord his God as his ancestor David has been there's David again but for David's sake the Lord his God allowed his descendants to continue ruling shining like a lamp and he gave Abijan a son to rule after him in Jerusalem for David had done what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and had obeyed the Lord's commands throughout his life except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. So I began to, to think about some things about David. And in the Old Testament, when he's, you know, finally king and everything, he, I don't think he ever loses a battle because, because God was on his side. He was a mighty warrior. He had mighty warriors around him. And when we see in the Old Testament when Armies would come and face Israel. They would be defeated. And what did Israel do? They would go to the camp or they would go into their, their place of settlement and they would plunder. So back in the day when, when, when people would win, they would plunder the enemy's camp. They would take all the food and all the riches, whatever was, was, was left behind or whatever was in the settlement. And then at the same time, because God was in Israel's corner... He didn't allow them to be defeated. So no one was plundering Israel. 
So Israel would plunder, 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 plunder. And then no one would come and take from Israel. So Israel was constantly gaining wealth, attaining wealth, because God would protect them. What's the point here? David was obedient. And he set up a kingdom for Solomon to take over. You know, and initially Solomon was obedient and he was humble. You know, later on in his reign, he, he kind of strayed away, but initially he was there. The point here is full blessing and favor will follow your obedience. You know, God is a good God. You know, he, he still does things even if we don't obey him sometimes. You know, but when we truly obey him, full blessing and favor will follow. You know, it's, it's Mother's Day, and I just want to um, say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in here, um, especially to my baby mama. I love you. But as a kid at the dinner table, don't you remember there were times where your mother would say, you're not going to get dessert unless you eat. What was it? What type of, what type of vegetables? Broccoli? What else? Carrots? You don't like carrots? What'd you just say? Lima beans. Lima beans. I hate lima beans. And I don't know if my mom cooked them right or whatever. But them things were nasty. And yeah, they still are. And sometimes in the South, they call them butter beans. I don't care how much butter you put on them things. They still going to be nasty. So let me say this, when me and my wife get our dream house and we have a party, don't bring lima beans. (laughs) Don't you dare bring any lima beans to the party because I will see them and I will say, who brought those? Uh Uh-uh, you you got to go. You can't be bringing no lima beans up in here. I don't care if they got butter on them. But when you were obedient, what happened? You got the dessert. You got the chocolate cake. You got the chocolate pudding. You got the brownie with the ice cream because you obeyed. You said, okay, I'm going to eat this this nasty stuff. I'm going to hold my breath. And one thing I noticed, too, you had to eat it when it was hot. If you didn't eat it, it was hot, it would be even nastier. So as soon as the plate was down and I saw them lima beans, I was like. <laughs> oh, and I got them out the way, you know, and I could, I could go on to the other things. But I noticed that, you know, as a kid, you want to leave the nastiest for the last. Don't do that. Any kids in here, don't do that. If you still live at home, eat it while it's warm. Trust me, eat it while it's warm, being very serious. 
Eat it while it's warm. But when you were obedient, you got the dessert. So again, full blessing and favor will follow your obedience. Let's look at another story. I think this is very common. Mark 12, 42, 44 tells us of the widow with two mites. Um, I'm going to read it here. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. You see what he was doing there? If they put that into the Bible, then that means Jesus is still watching. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins or two small copper coins. Again, metal. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Do you see the contrast there? The contrast between Solomon's exorbitant giving of $79 million in, in animals and then here you have this poor widow that only gives two small copper coins. That's, that's as if, you know, I gave two pennies today or maybe two dollars and someone else gave 79 million. Huge, huge contrast there. The point here is that there's different quantity in gifts, you know, but it's the same value in God's eyes. It's not, about, it's not about how much your tithe is. It's more about percentage. Are, are we giving the 10%? No matter how much that is in dollar amounts. Or maybe Bitcoin. God is more concerned with our heart and our motive in giving. He's not, he's, man, uh, this made me sad. I have a lot of stories from college. I was visiting this church, and I think it was a Sunday morning or, or a Friday night. They were doing this thing for college people. And, I mean, the regular crowd was there. And it was offering time. And they literally had a, a line for the people that was giving 100 and over. So everyone was sitting and thinking about it. I'm a college student with no job. You know, I can't even give anything. But they have these, these people in a line here. And the pastor is singling these people out. Imagine people in this row, this, this aisle right here, singling people out, praising them in front of the whole church. Just because they're giving 100 or I think it was maybe even 1,000. So what? What if the thousand was their 10%, but this person over here is only able to give 50, and that's their 10%? They're just as justified as these people standing. We do not raise people up just because their tithe is larger than someone else. God does not look at that. So it doesn't matter the value in dollars. It matters your motive and your heart in giving. What about our time and our giftings? Time is precious. We can't get it back. Every second that goes by is gone. We're not Thanos. 
You can't just, oh, I'm going to turn back time and take your mind stone. We can't do that. You know, we don't have the affinity gauntlet. Oh, did someone not see it? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Spoiler. Sorry. What about our giftings? We have gifts. We have gifts that God has given us. He's given us them for a reason, to be impactful for him in this world. Your gifts not, might not make it to the church. You might have, you know, uh, social gifts. You know, you're, you're a great business leader or something like that. But God is giving you them to, to give him glory. Uh, pressured giving. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9.7. Each one must give as he has not decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Another story from college. I had $5 in my wallet. Didn't have a job. Just $5. I think my mom gave it to me. You know, uh, as a college student, it's pretty precious. Sometimes you go out to eat. You want to use that. Uh, we had Bojangles, and I could get like a dinner. They had a four-piece uh, with some seasoned fries and sweet tea. You know, that $5 would have gotten me that. And we decided to go out and visit uh, this other church on Friday night. And we got in. We were like, okay, cool, you know, this is another church. But uh, it seemed kind of weird because before we got in a message, um, they were like, we're going to do, do a drill. It's called the rapture drill. And me and my, we were looking at each other like, what is this? <laughs> well, I know what the rapture is, but we ain't got no drills for it. They said, on the count of three, everyone's just going to raise up their hands and act like you're going into the sky. They said, one, two, three. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, okay, we're past that. Let's see what's going on. And so they get to the giving time. And I must admit that I've experienced this, this compulsion thing, this being reluctant to give. Because the $5 wasn't my tithe. It wasn't, you know. So I didn't really have to give it. But this, this guy, man, this preacher was like, he went on for like 20, 30 minutes. You know, he was, he was pointing out people. He was like, what do you need? What do you need? But he just wouldn't stop. And you know that time where like a preacher is looking at you and you feel like they're talking right to you? Well, I think he was talking right to me. Because I was one of the last ones to get up and give. He was like, <laughs> and I was like, mm, yeah. you know what, Lord? I'm going to give this to you. I'm not giving it to that man. You know I ain't got no money to eat. And I went up there and I gave it. And shortly after, maybe 10 minutes, he finally stopped. So I gave under that. And at the time, I really didn't remember that scripture. If I remember that scripture, I would have been like, I feel pretty compulsed right now. I'm just going to sit here. And if you get blue in the face, then you get blue in the face. But, you know, I, I gave. So don't, don't give if you've already... Assuming you've given your tithe. You got bills to pay for. 
You know, don't put yourself in a hard spot. If you're giving your tithe, and even if you're giving some offering, you know, you, and someone's on TV, and they're just like hounding you about giving, don't, don't feel under compulsion. Don't do that. Let's get into our, our second uh, or fourth point of chapter five, lifestyle immunity. So we expect church members to make every effort to walk in peace, forgiveness, and unity. This unity is relational, doctrinal, and ph- philosophical. Um, a great example of that was National Day of Prayer and the, and the Bible reading marathon. That showed unity not only in just one church, but multiple churches in a region. And that's what we need to be about. You know, just because we're a part of a different church doesn't mean we can't come together and pray. Or seek God for big things. Um, let's read some scripture. Acts 2.44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Next one. Ephesians 4.3. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Life in the sun. We need to continue to worship, pray, and grow together. Amen. I have this book here, 100 Years From Now, from Steve Merle. I'm going to read a story here. We have an example in the, the Bible reading marathon and the National Day of Prayer of how, you know, what unity looks like. But I'm going to show you here, I'm going to read a story how uh, disunity looks like, how it can be uh, harmful to the church. Little context here, uh, Steve Merle, he was a sprinter in high school, so he had some legs on him. He actually ran the dash in 9.8. It's pretty, it's moving. Uh, but he had an older brother, and his older brother usually won, you know, the older brother type thing. And they were both racing, and uh, let's get into the story here. Many years ago, I was a runner, not a jogger or a marathoner, a runner. My older brother, Jim, was also a runner. In 1975, Jim was a high school senior. I was a sophomore. Being the fastest man on our track team, Jim ran the 100 and usually won. I was fast enough to barely make the 4x100 relay team. Halfway through the season, in an insignificant track meet, coach decided to put me in the 100 along with Jim, just to see what would happen. Who can resist a little brother against brother competition? Since all eyes were on Jim, I approached the starting line with no pressure and no expectations. Ten seconds after the gun sounded, the unexpected happened. I not only beat my big brother, I won the race. Jim came in second. No one was more surprised than me except maybe Jim and Coach. 30 minutes later, we lined up for the 4 by 100 relay. Jim ran the first leg. I ran the second. Jim shot out the blocks like Usain Bolt, running from a hungry cheetah. He left our opponents in his dust like they were in slow motion. He was flying, but something was not right. As he rounded the curve for the handoff, I squinted my eyes and couldn't believe what I saw. Or rather, what I didn't see. Where's the baton, Jim? You're supposed to have a baton. Last summer at my son's wedding, we were laughing 
about childhood memories, including that race. And Jim told me that he was so mad about losing the hundred to his little brother that he completely forgot to pick up the baton and just left it there on the starting line. I'm not sure when he realized he had forgotten the the baton, but as he approached me for the handoff, he was half yelling, half laughing, and furiously waving his hands. I I forgot the baton. Just run. So we slapped hands, and I ran with our invisible baton. I then passed that imaginary baton to the third runner, who passed it to our fourth runner. Of course, we were disqualified because running with an imaginary baton doesn't count. Yes, don't count, little baby. It didn't matter that our team was the fastest on the track. All that mattered was that we failed to pass the baton. We didn't drop it. We left it at the starting line. And later on, um, he just, before he wrote the book, he just um, contacted his brother and His brother told him he was just so mad that he pretty much just forgot. And and he he gives him, let me go back here now. First, it's the only time in my life I've ever won 100 yards in less than 10 seconds. I just wasn't fast enough. This is his brother. I just wasn't fast enough to beat your 9-8 that day. God has a way of humiliating those who take pride in their own abilities. Second, our team finished one and two in a field of eight. But I was too self-absorbed to celebrate the accomplishment. He was too much into himself. And being mad at the fact that his little brother won. And And the point here is that division must die, okay? Division must die. And even though his steed didn't do anything directly wrong to him, he just won a race. For some reason, his older brother felt offended, you know? So we're going to be talking about a little bit about... uh, offense. We can't, we can't let offense come in. Because what offense will do is cause division. If we're offended by our brother and sister, we simply do what the word says. We go to them. Talk it out. In love. Okay? And in some things, it's okay to disagree. If it's not a core belief founded in the Bible... It's okay to disagree. Okay? So division will, we've seen it in the past when it comes to churches. Churches can split because of division. Someone has offended somebody and they don't properly go through the channels of restoring that relationship or coming to a common ground. And division happens. We have to look at people with a big picture. We have to look at them through the eyes of God. Because that same person that offended you, God loves them the same as he does you. He loves everyone the same. Whether we're in the wrong or they're in the wrong or a lot of the times we're both in the wrong. You know, we always have to come to this in a humble manner. 
and always be willing to forgive. Like Jesus says, forgive, forgive, forgive. Next uh, slide. This is Augustine. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Next one. Steve Merle says, mission draws us together. Relationship keeps us together. Doctrine is worked out together. And experience is judged together. We've gone through some things in this church. We've gone through leadership changes. Now we've gone through people coming and going. But we're still here. Amen? Because we value unity. We value Jesus Christ. And that, that's what it's all about. We can't have unity if Jesus is not the focus. He is the common denominator. He's the glue that keeps us together. We had a zealot and a tax collector in the same group, 12 disciples. Zealots hated tax collectors because they worked for the Roman government. You, you work for our enemy, you've become my enemy. I want to overthrow Rome. I want them out of my homeland. I can't believe you did this. What do you think about the tax collector? Man, I'm just trying to survive. Chill, man. I'm just trying to feed my family. A lot of times, tax collector would steal some money, though. <laughs> but if Jesus put that together, he, he's showing that his church can have unity. You can come from a different culture, different background. You can have different values. But one thing we must agree on is the word of God, the core beliefs of the word of God. We can't disagree on those things. We need to be in harmony. So in conclusion, let's be a church community that, only, that not only knows who we are, but practices what we know. Not only listeners of the word of God, but doers of the word of God. Strive to be cheerful and honest in your giving. Don't let someone pressure you into giving your last $5. Assuming you've already given your tithe. Live with grace and mercy towards your fellow brothers and sisters. Knowing that we all run in the same race at different speeds and in different lanes, but in the same direction. Let's pray. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. You know, we've been... Ending this series of, of church community. And church community is somewhere where you can grow and have a family outside your own family. And I just want to give a chance for anybody who doesn't have that community to enter in. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, well, Lord, Father, I thank you for this series. I thank you for teaching us many things and showing us how to apply them in our very own lives. I pray for this family.
that we would be a family in total unity, Lord Father. Even if we don't agree on those things, I pray we would be in unity in you. And that we would allow your Holy Spirit to come into our lives and take out anything that's not of you and put in anything that is of you. But Father, live and reign in our lives. Protect us from the enemy and bless us with your peace, your favor, your protection, and your provision. In Jesus' mighty name.